you've got to enjoy what you're doing um, because it, it get, it's part of your motivation um, is your enjoyment for what, for what you're doing. And I'm a firm believer. Um, motivation is everything. Mm-hmm. It, it is, it is everything. This episode of the smart athlete podcast is brought to you by Solpre skincare for athletes. Whether you're in the gym, on the mats, on the road, or in the pool, we protect your skin so you're more comfortable in your own body. To learn more, go to soulpre.com. Um, here today, my guest is a current USAT Level 2 certified coach. Um, I know him personally. He coaches anybody from the average age grouper all the way through Olympic-level athletes. Uh, I want to welcome to the show today Coach Ryan Ross. Thanks, Jesse. <laughs> How are you doing, Coach? I'm doing good. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing okay. Uh, kicked my butt a little bit with a, what should have been an easy swim set this morning, but. <laughs> well, what happened? I'm tired from the rest of the week because you've been scheduling <laughs> me for a lot for a lot of work. <laughs> that tends to happen. Fatigue is not the enemy. I know. I, I had a I had an old coach that used to say, um, an endurance athlete's job is to resist fatigue. It's not resist fatigue. That's ever. It's everything. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's everything that comes down to our efficiency. Um, but yeah, fatigue resistance is everything. So I want to talk a little bit about kind of, uh, how did you get to where you are now? So mm-hmm. with, but without starting with a, uh, um, a love story between a man and a woman, I tell us a little bit about your childhood growing up. Like, were you active? Like, did you do sports or were you a couch potato? Um, no, I was active. I did sports. Um, I played you know, several ball sports. I played a, um, a lot of baseball and a lot of basketball growing up. Um, those were definitely my two favorite. I tried everything. I played some football, um, uh, some soccer, but my my loves with the, I guess we'll call them the ball sports, were definitely um, basketball and baseball. And I played those, you know, both through high school and, and um, actually both of them uh, after high school, some like in a rec league or, uh, baseball was a rec league basketball. Um, I did some like AAU, like type sports, like basically mm-hmm. like four league type teams. Um, and so, yeah, so I love those sports. I thought I was going to be, um, I, my, my dream at one time was to coach in basketball and, you know, I, after high school, I probably just, I just, I don't know. I didn't have my stuff together maturity wise, you know, um, like you're out running around smoking pot. You know, I'm, 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 de- I'm definitely not smoking <laughs> pot. I've, I, I haven't really done that in my life, but, um, no, I just, I just, it's like, I wasn't ready for the next level. Mm-hmm. So I like, I ended up just playing on my playing sports on my own, took a few community college classes and, and I eventually got a, a college degree, but I just, I don't know, come right out of, High school, I just wasn't. I just think I had a maturity issue with making that next step to college and getting on some career path. You know, when I was 18, 19 years old, it took me a little bit longer. Right. I, you know, and I think it's for a lot of people. I've always, even at the time going to college, I thought it's a little insane to, to sit an 18 year old down and say, you know, what are you going to do with the rest of your life? Yeah. Yeah, no, I I definitely agree with that. I like with my own kids, I won't push them too hard too quickly because I just didn't know. I mean, my it's funny is I mean, my degree is in accounting, 
And when I took my first accounting class, I didn't even know what accounting was. Um, I just figured it would be a nice elective. I, I kind of knew I wanted some type of a business major, but I got in there and everything, you know, it came naturally to me. It doesn't seem like the average person would say accounting sounds like a like a fun elective. I mean, well, it's an elective for some type oh, okay. of business degree. So I was like, oh, I'll give this one a go now. And I, I didn't really I don't think I had a really a career path in mind at that point. But it's just, you know, some things just come naturally. And uh, that always helps when you're in those last few years of college and focusing on, you know, a specific major type thing. OK, so okay. to answer your question, yeah, ball sports. Um, did a lot of cycling growing up when I was young as well. I think I was cycling very early. And then as I got into like the middle school ages, um, you know, I still, I started realizing that cycling stuff wasn't as cool as the ball stuff, you know, around school. Mm -hmm. So, you know, heavy into the ball stuff throughout high school after high school. And then, um, kind of came back to cycling, um, later in my college years. Yeah. I mean, it definitely seems like uh here in the u.s we don't really have a culture like for your for young athletes in cycling whereas oh like, yeah definitely europe seems to have a lot more of that oh so yeah it's, it's 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 totally main it's mainstream there it's it's, it's a main it's a mainstream accepted sport and here it's not um so there's there's definitely not all that like i mean as you know in this community you think about sports like soccer and baseball and, and the youth programs i mean it's and there's some stuff out there now you can do in cycling, but uh, it's just not as prevalent. You know, I have a four-year-old son now, and he's got a year already of BMX racing under his belt. Um, but the closest BMX track to where we live, I mean, we have to drive 40 minutes. Right. So it's just, you know, things aren't as, aren't as mainstream. So you... you... And I kind of knew you, you know, you'd grown up cycling. You know, how do you take... How do you come from cycling and get to triathlon. I mean, there are plenty of guys that just decide I'm going to race crits or, mm -hmm. you know, I'm only going to, I'm going to go off and do off road or, you know, BMX or any of the thousand variations of cycling. How, you know, how do you decide, okay, I want to add two more sports to this. Yeah. So me, it was, um, I think in my mindset, I'm kind of a one at a time type guy. So, you know, I raced, I've raced, I think almost every discipline in cycling, except, you know, in the last few years, we've got like this gravel thing and cycle, mm -hmm. um, cyclocross. I have not mm -hmm. gotten into either one of those. I think I've gotten to the point where I just don't, I, maybe I'm just not up to learning something new at this point. Um, <laughs> getting old, I guess, but I, I, um, you know, I was doing road, mountain road, um, ultra road for a while. And, I decided to, to give triathlon a try. I wanted to mix in more variety with what I was doing. I was had, had some injuries, mm -hmm. um, um, especially with the old, ultra distance cycling, you know, we're talking races, um, 12 and 24 hours and, and okay. ultra distance stuff. So had some injuries and gave it a try. And I, I'll, I'll never, I mean, I think everyone remembers their first triathlon and I remember mine and I was really blown away by, um, the environment was really good. My first event was a pretty big, about a thousand participant event. And just the environment and the excitement of the environment was actually nothing I had ever experienced in the sport cycling. You know, I've just single sport cycling. It was just amazing how many people were there supporting the athletes mm -hmm. and the camaraderie is just different. You know, in cycling, you arrive at an event and everyone's looking at each other like, 
you know, how am I going to beat you? How am I going to tear your legs <laughs> off? It's, you know, it's the stare down, which is all fine. Um, but it was, uh, it was just a great experience my first time. And I just, I just got hooked after that, hooked after that. And like I said, just the variety and the balance of doing multiple things is something that really appealed to me at the time. And I enjoyed. Okay. So it, so you said you remember your first one. So mm-hmm. what, what age are you at this point? Like what year is this? You know, where are we in kind of the like sport progression? That would have been, we were at, you know, this event of Shawnee Mission Park. Mm-hmm. Um, this was back when the triathlon was on its, on a big up as far as participation. And this is an event that you pretty much at the time, um, you know, you had to sign up like really like in the middle of winter right, or a right. July event to where now, unfortunately you could sign up for that event, a packet pickup. So right. um, yeah, it was, it was, it was Shawnee mission park. And um, uh, what can I say? I, I got the idea over the winter and, you know, started mm-hmm. to um, slop my way through uh, swimming and, and, running and all the soreness that it caused me initially because i did run a year across country in high school but it was really just to stay in shape for other things mm-hmm. um so i just made that you know they made that switch and started mixing in that variety um but the year was 2000 this would have been four okay four or five I was I like, Shawnee Mission that. Park, I think, is over 30 years old now. Oh, yeah, so it's, it's been around it's forever. It's been around forever. Yeah. I want to say it was 04, 05, where, where is about where that would have been. So, I, And I was like in my, I was like, what, 34, something mm-hmm. like that, 34 mm-hmm. years old, first triathlon in, the, in that time frame. So then you just you caught the bug from there? Caught the bug from there. Like I said, I was, I was just I thought the event was super exciting, a lot of fun. Um, I enjoyed training for it with all adding in all the variety, you know, no more injuries from, from long distance cycling. And, and so, mm-hmm. yeah, it just, it just, it started from there. And I've always been, you know, uh, with whatever I've done, I've always been kind of a student of the game. I mean, I always did a lot of reading, a lot of research. I enjoyed that aspect and that kind of led to getting into coaching later. I, my, um, I was dating, who is my wife now, um, we were in dating mode at that point. And I remember, um, she had, uh, she got into triathlon about a year, a couple years before I did. And, um, she had a coach at the time and she was training for a half Ironman distance race and she had a coach and she had a really poor coaching experience. Mm-hmm. And then she found out that the coach had given her basically the same training plan that he gives to everybody so it was kind of like a ended up being a cookie cutter thing okay. so and she was kind of upset about that and and she's not real one to be like real animated or get upset she's, she's like why would he give you know all these other people who i'm way more experienced than i'm way faster they got the same schedule i don't get and i thought to myself you know what that is kind of poor right. and that was my first thought is you know i could do this i mean so that was kind of my first inkling of going into triathlon and then getting into coaching. Just a matter of like, you know, I mean, we've talked about this before in my kind of like entrepreneurship endeavors where it's like you see this gap where you're like, you know, they're not being treated right or this could be better and you just decide, you know, I yeah, think you, I can do that. You got to solve problems, you know, and, yeah. and, and definitely. And, and so, yeah, that's how, you know, that's how it came to mind. I mean, one thing I'd want to say on this topic is, 
with growing up with cycling and everything, you know, for me, um, cycling started as a kid and I just rode like crazy. I mean, I rode my bikes like crazy all over the, all over the, the city that I lived in. And I developed that, you know, that childlike love for the sport that will never, ever go away. Mm-hmm. Um, cause when you do something as a child, you know, I mean, you're not thinking about training or the next race, what your power is. You're just out there busting it. And I think having that, developing that purity rather than think about it because we got adults now adult age people who've never done any serious cycling they come into triathlon Mm -hmm. um and they never develop that they never have that childlike they don't they miss the childlike childhood type love that passion and i think that's so important because how many triathletes would not go out and just go for a ride if they weren't training for a triathlon Mm-hmm. Um, would they just go out and ride for the love of it? And I mean, I know that I absolutely would and I do. And so I think that was something that was really important for my development and for me in cycling is developing that childhood type love. And that's why I love to see, you know, my four-year-old, you know, even though he's racing about five years earlier than I even did any racing. I mean, I see him out and we, we go on rides, he's four years old and we, I mean, he went with my wife, they out for a ride. He's got a new uh, BMX bike for Christmas. And, um, I went out one day and rode with him. We rode over, rode over to a park near me, rode like an hour. And then, then the end, I was like, wow, he's really doing good. He's freaking <laughs> four years old. We're out there riding for an hour, mm-hmm. uh, nonstop. And then the next day, my wife's like, Hey, I'm going to take Levi on a bike ride. And, I, and she hasn't been on the bike in a long time. I'm thinking it's be kind of interesting actually what happened here. <laughs> She came back home like an hour and a half later. Her eyes were like this big around. And she's like, she's like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> hour and a half later. So, you know, there he is as a child. An hour one day and an hour and a half next. I mean, how, how many of us adults uh, who are doing triathlons are doing that even? Especially yeah, it's like it's, so. you know, the enthusiasm of a child without yes, understanding exactly. like limitations or trying to like periodize your schedule or anything. <laughs> it's just like it's just pure joy. Exactly. And I think developing that is just, it's just really important. It, it almost kind of remember, reminds me of, um, I don't remember where I was like, it, where, where this concept came up first for me, but it's like keeping the beginner's mind, you know, that mm-hmm. child's mind when you approach something. So, you know, instead of being like, you know, you and I clearly get very involved in like my schedule and trying to make things right and fitting it in and trying to, maximize potential and all that stuff but it's like yeah. sometimes you like just have to get back to the beginner's mind or it's like i'm just learning this today i'm just having fun today i'm just yeah you know, enjoying it for what it is instead of being so focused on the greater picture right you've got to enjoy what you're doing um, because it, it get it's part of your motivation um is your enjoyment for what <clears throat> for what you're doing and i'm a firm believer um motivation is everything it is, it is everything. So, um, yeah. And so if you're not enjoying yourself, that makes, that tends to damper, you know, our motivation. It's something that I kind of think about. And, um, another one of my coaches that I had in the past one of my, my high school cross country coaches, he, I kind of debated with him a little bit on this, but he says that motivation cannot be coached. Where, like, where do you think motivation comes from? 
Ooh, that that is such a good question. Can it be coached? Okay, so I have often said uh, many a times. Okay, so I I do agree with him to an extent, and I I know what he's what he's I know where he's coming from. Mm-hmm. Um, because motivation has to come from within. It has to come from within you. Right. You have to wake up in the morning with that burning desire. But at the same time, I think the coach has a role in it. In that. Um, having the accountability piece and the structure piece helps you be motivated. Like if you have, if you don't have the accountability piece, if you don't have the structure, I mean, I, I see a lot of people who it dampers their motivation, not having those things in place. Mm -hmm. So it helps you because then you've got that total package and you feel like I'm in a good direction. You know, I feel good about what I'm doing because I have the accountability and the structure. So I think they do kind of bounce off one another, but also, like I said, it's got to come from within. And, you know, if I, if I see an athlete at a race and I see them out there on a run course and I cheer for them, give them a high five as they run by, that's great. And we all get that a little jump in our motivation from that. But that only lasts really 20 seconds, 30 seconds. And then you're yeah. out, you know, still got five miles to go on that half hour. <laughs> right. I mean, you do. So it, so that type of motivation is extremely, extremely short term, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, so I think that aspect of it is probably what your coach is referring to is that, you know, you've got to, you, you have to be out there and want it yourself and have that burning desire. So, I mean, I can, I mean, I can kind of see it both ways. I think providing the accountability and the structure helps an athlete be motivated. I'll say maybe like, I guess this is how I think about it and we'll see whether you agree. I kind of think about motivation, like, like a fire. Um, a coach cannot light the fire, but a coach can fan it. So, you know, some athletes come to a coach and it's already roaring. There's a bonfire already available mm-hmm. and other athletes come to a coach and maybe there's only an ember, but mm-hmm. you know, they, so I kind of think about it where it's like that fire already has to be lit. And then your job is in part to foster it. Yeah, I could agree with that. I mean, because sometimes if the fire is burning too high and the coach has to be like, oh, we have to curb the enthusiasm <laughs> down. Seriously, because yeah. uh, I actually got one right now. And uh, coming back off the off season and had a season last year, lack of motivation. I was coaching this person, um, had personal issues. I totally understood it. In fact, I went to him several times last year and said, look, you've got bigger things going on why don't you go focus on those things? And he hung on because if he didn't have the accountability and the st- accountability and the structure, he would have went to crap. He wouldn't have been doing anything. Um, but he came back this year and told me a story about how things have worked themselves out. And uh, I was amazed how well he did in the first few weeks coming back, how he's hit every workout, showed a high level of enthusiasm to the point I did have to say, okay, we're going to slow down here a little bit let's not get you injured type thing. Right. Right. You know, because the fire was burning so high. So yeah, I mean, no, I agree with you. Um, yeah, the, the, the coach can definitely assist it. And again, I'll go back to providing the accountability, um, structure. I think, you know, relieving an athlete from wondering, Hey, what should I do tomorrow? What am I going to do tomorrow? You know, I think that helps with the motivation. It helps like, you know, spread that fire a little bit, but Mm -hmm. I I do think you, there needs the fire needs to at least be started right right yeah 
Yeah, I think we're on the same page there. Um, you know, it's I, I hang out in various like triathlon forums and kind of see you know what people are asking about and, and different things. And often I see beginners um, say, "Okay, I have this twelve week training plan that I found on XYZ site. Like, is this a good you know is this a good training plan?" And um, so I, I think the question comes back to that you probably have to answer all the time why do I even need a coach if, you know, all of these training plans are available? Well, let me say first that coaches love it when we hear our athletes on social media sites related to triathlon. We just love them going out there, hearing about how everyone else is doing more than them and all this mm-hmm. stuff. We just love that. <laughs> coaches love that. Yeah. I, I, in fact, I put it in, um, especially for, you know, like Ironman has like, Every event has like a group, uh, an event page. Like, for example, mm-hmm. like uh, 70.3 Chattanooga, there's an event page. Right. And the athletes will go on there and they'll read about all this stuff other athletes are doing. Oh my gosh, that person did a, a 70 mile ride and a 10 mile. I mean, wh- why am I not doing as much? And uh, oh my gosh, what's, what? And then they're hearing things about the event. Oh, this road, it has a pot. And uh, yeah, <laughs> that I think that gets it. You know, I, I tell people, especially leading up to Ironman events, I'm like, no social media site. You stay off the events page. If you need to learn something important about the event that's that pertinent, they will email you and tell you. Mm-hmm. You don't need to be trolling every website because it gets it gets up here um, for sure. So um, wh- why do I need a coach? Well, the accountability and the structure, for one, that I've already talked about. Like I have a questionnaire. Like if I have a new athlete, I'll, I have these questionnaire I'll send. And one of the things in there is what three, what are the three biggest things you want from your coach? And I, I don't think I've ever got one back that didn't say accountability. Mm-hmm. I, it says accountability every time. And if you pull and you know what, I'm sure, cause I'm a big believer in that training for a big triathlon. It's like, it's like making a pizza. You can make a pizza a lot of different ways in a lot of different styles and get a good pizza. Mm-hmm. And coaching and tra- you know, a training plan can be the same. It doesn't, everyone's, there's no best one. There's no exact right way to do it. You can have a great race based upon different methodologies. The problem with downloading one off the internet is, in my opinion, is it might not be calibrated for you appropriately. If you have questions, you're not going to get answers. You have the accountability piece, people following you up, asking how a work went, workout went, adjusting future workouts. What do I do if I get sick? You know, um, well, how do I incorporate a training race for my big race? All that kinds of stuff. So there's a lot of important stuff out there that can be put in like that, that you're not going to get with the download. I mean, I have certainly created many, many of basically downloaded loadable type programs in the mm-hmm. past. Where people will come to me and I'll make them up 12 weeks send it on. That's great. I mean, people are saving money um, because they're not paying me a ton to do that. Um, Obviously, if you're getting stuff for free, you're you're not paying anything. But it's just some people just want and frankly need that look over their shoulder multiple times per week, reviewing the workouts, you know, and if you have a bad week, chances are, even if you have a well written program, you download and like you said, a 12 week program, if in week five, you have a bad week, maybe something in week six, if that program is progressing, um, needs to be adjusted and, and right. done differently, you know? Um, so that's, 
that there's a lot of things that the coach can provide that you're not going to get just by downloading a program. See, and you, you haven't quite touched on this, but like, I know for me, um, on top of at least, you know, the stuff that you provide for me, I'm not an expert in cycling. Like I can ride all the running workouts. No problem. I have, I have a deep background there. Whereas like average Joe may not, but I know like you fill in a lot of the gaps that I don't know about, first of all, but you know, maybe this doesn't happen with your other athletes, but I, I find more often it's like having kind of a mental check, you know, instead of being able to second guess yourself, like mm-hmm. having somebody to bounce, you know, your kind of ideas and struggles off of rather than just saying, um, you know, I'm doing this today. And then it's like, Oh, is it too much? Is it not enough? Is it like, how is it, is it just right? And then questioning yourself. Like, mm-hmm. so for like, for me, a coach is almost, um, you know, helping the mental game more so than just the, you know, the physical aspect. Uh-huh. No, I get that. I, yeah, I, I mean, I can, I can definitely see that because, I mean, having the sounding board is nice. And when you have an athlete, and you're very good about this as an athlete, is, is um, explaining how or, or in workout comments saying how something felt, uh, how it went. Um because that helps the coach a lot. I mean, if if that workout is, you know, maybe a workout's on a specific progression, well, the feedback you give might lead to an adjustment in a future mm-hmm. week that helps that workout go better now. You know, maybe adjusting recovery intervals, up, up or downing the power, you, or whatever it might be. So, yeah. Um, and you have to realize, like, for yourself, like your experience, super experience with running and – some people come in this with no experience in anything right, right. at all. Right. So it's like it, providing the, that feedback to the coach so they can make adjustments to those kind of things. I mean, that's, that's everything. Cause I'm sure you, uh, with any running workout I give you, you, you know how it's supposed to feel and how it's, I mean, right. Yeah. I mean, any, anytime you say we're doing this, I know, I don't, I almost don't even need to look at the watch just because I've been running for so long. I know it needs to feel like this, then we need to adjust it this way. And, but, but yeah, that's clearly not going to be, you know, the experience for everybody. I've been running since I was 12. So. Yeah. yeah and that's where the coach comes in. I mean, with a beginner, especially with a beginner, a beginner is probably really excited. Um, especially when you got to watch out for, and this was me when I came into triathlon was the athlete who you've got to, <laughs> A, a new triathlete who is already advanced in one discipline mm-hmm. um, and, and they have good knowledge and they don't have knowledge in the others. That's usually someone who could tend to overdo things because mm-hmm. they really fit. So you got a really fit cyclist. They come into triathlon. They want to do a bunch of running. Well, you can't really do that. You can't really sit on a saddle you know, four or five hours a week in week three of becoming a cyclist. I mean, you have to, to build into those things. Mm-hmm. And that sounding board, and, and that's, I mean, that's huge for the co- where the coach comes in. Um, so one of the things I think we've talked about in the past, um, you know, I know triathlon has helped me as far as, like, limiting injury. And like you mentioned earlier, like, the, the community is so supportive. It's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I know growing up, cross-country community was always just – very generous, very nice people helping other people at meets and stuff. 
And then the triathlon community has almost been um, kind of expansion on that, which yeah. seemed just bonkers to me. Um, but I think a lot of people are a little afraid of the sport because they think it's expensive. So I want to get yeah, your thoughts yeah. kind of on like, is triathlon expensive? And like, is there any way to mitigate the expenses? Like, you know, how would you approach it if somebody said, you know, I want to do this, but I'm, I, you know, I'm on a limited budget. I'd say, let's do this. So I do these beginner triathlon forums from time to time. Mm-hmm. And the very first thing I say is you can get everything you need to do a triathlon at Walmart. Mm-hmm. And that is absolutely the truth. You Now, is it an expensive sport? If you, yeah, it can be, but it doesn't have to be. I mean, as I like to say, if you can pedal the bike and it moves forward, it's good to go. Mm-hmm. It's good enough. Swim goggles. I mean, you don't have to buy a swim cap. They give it to you. You just need some goggles, maybe a wetsuit, clothing and running shoes. I don't think all that sounds really all that expensive to me. Now, right. if you if you desire, if you have the burning desire, I want to you know compete for something. Um, I want to go super far, long or whatever. Yeah, it starts to get more expensive, but it 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 doesn't have to be. Now, unfortunately, part of the reason why we have this reputation is the dem- demographics of a triathlete. Right. Uh, and the demographics of a triathlete are something to me, I just, I hate the demographics of the average triathlete. It's middle age, it's white, and it's upper class. And right. It's like, I think, I think USA Triathlon puts out the statistics. It's like the average triathlete household earns at least six figures. Yeah. And I hate that. I, 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 I hate that because I would like to see our, our sport, um, be able to reach out to other cultures um, and do do things to get rid of that reputation that you got to have a bunch of money to do triathlon because you just don't. You absolutely do not. Um, mm-hmm. I, I mean, if we, as long as we can get our race directors to cooperate on race entry fees, it, it, sh- it shouldn't be that much more. It's always going to be more of expensive than a sport like running because you do have right. to have a bike, entry fees are more, you got to have a helmet. Um, right. But it's not as astronomically as expensive. It doesn't have to be, especially for a beginner. I mean, a beginner, I'm not sure why you'd go out and spend $10,000 on stuff you know, in the first year anyway. Um, but yeah, no, triathlon, it doesn't have to be that expensive. Yeah, I think one time you, you had mentioned to me um, referring to triathlon as your healthy habit. And I think that happens with a lot of, I'll say, middle-aged guys. There's a lot out there that say, okay, this is my new hobby. And then they'll go out and buy a $5,000 bike yeah. and like all this equipment. And then they're like slow as mud. Yeah. And, um, you certainly don't need to spend $5,000 for a bike to create a healthy habit. Right. Absolutely not. I mean, um, I have an, uh, an off season triathlon class and, um, I've got, I got this year, I've got a lot of beginners and they're in there on their indoor trainers and their hybrid bikes with platform pedals and they're going to, they're going to start out on the cheap and they are doing it right. They're doing mm. it the way they should. And they're not going to be any, from a health standpoint, they're not going to be improving. They're going to get the same health improvements that the guy next to him with the $5,000 Savelo. I mean, it's, it's right. going to be the same. Um, so no, it doesn't have to, it just doesn't have to be. Unfortunately, you know, the sport is very type A, um, very white collar. Um, it just, and a part of that just comes from our reputation. 
So, um, kind of along with like, like you mentioned, like you can have the guy riding the the five thousand dollar Trekker Cervelo bike, and then you can have somebody riding even say a mountain bike. I actually, mm-hmm. address this yeah. in another video. Like, do you need a triathlon bike to race triathlon? Remember, if you pedal and it moves forward, you're good to go. You're good to go. Good to um, go. So you're clearly getting like physical benefits, but one of the things that you know I like to kind of research and focus on is like the mind-body connection. And I think about this a lot myself, you know, how we we can debate this, but all, for, for this purpose, I'll say we are our mind, you know, whatever's going on there. And that our bodies are vehicles. So like, yes, we know how to strengthen the body, but like, how would you suggest strengthening your mind so that you have a, like a stronger mind-body connection or you're able to you know, withstand um, a tougher workout or um, to race harder or to, you know, to get more out of yourself. Mm-hmm. So it's strengthen the mind-body connection. This is the, the absolute biggest thing that I would encourage someone to do is to, as we were talking about just a minute ago, we have a type A sport with the, a lot of the athletes have good money. So technology has become a part of our sport. Mm-hmm. Technology takes away from the mind-body connection, right? Because we're not—we're no longer listening to our bodies. We're gonna—we're gonna get that heart rate where it needs to be. We're gonna get that power. That pit. we're gonna—we're just gonna go to whatever the number on the training program says. Mm-hmm. That takes away from the mind-body connection. I'm big on perceived effort type training. Now, all modes have their place. Perceived effort, heart rate, power pit. What, they all have places. But perceived effort was something that was obviously big at one point, um, not so big now um, because technology has become so prevalent. We still need to be spending a fair amount of time in perceived effort training in order to enhance the connection between mind and body. So I actually had um, my roommate in college who was a walk-on with with the cross-country team. Mm -hmm. Um, He just had the darnest time trying to you know feel a pace you know i'd always talk to him about you know you need to feel this pace or feel that pace and 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 learn you know what your body you know how everything's firing and feeling your your heart rate and your lungs to know how to kind of race to your maximum but it 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 just seemed like he could not get there have you ever had an athlete that just seemed to have like no progression no feeling at all it's just you know, complete disconnect between mind and body. Well, the question I would ask for that athlete is, are they training, are they effort-based training, but at different intensity levels? So are they doing typical, what we commonly refer to as like zone two, aerobic, endurance mm-hmm. building network, but are they also interval training with perceived effort? So they're feeling like what multiple effort levels feel like. Mm-hmm. Uh, because if you're always if you're always doing the same thing, I could definitely see where you'd have a problem with that. But I think what the first thing I would do with that athlete is I would say, let's do perceived effort training, but let's do it with tempo runs, let's do it with 800 repeats, whatever it might be, to allow that athlete to really feel the difference between different levels of exertion. Okay. Okay. Maybe I'll, well, you I'll... do that. There's a there's a really well known um, running coach. Uh, maybe you've heard of her, Jenny Hatfield. I'm not familiar, but so she 
um, I'm on her on her uh, like her email list, and I've I've looked at you know I've seen her website before, and she's big on her a lot of her training programs are very are just they're effort based mm-hmm. and intensity ranges, and she has done some great writing on perceived effort training and talking about how if you train by your effort, it gives you you have such a higher ceiling to improve because you're only focused on your effort. So mm-hmm. what's going to happen is that effort. If you, as long as you mean, let's say you have like, she gives like an interval set each week that's relatively similar. Well, what's happening over time is the pace is improving and improving and improving at the same effort level. And it goes Mm -hmm. back to, you know, what we said, you know, fatigue resistance, you know, uh, back in Mm -hmm. the beginning of this. Um, But, and that's how our bodies get more efficient is you know, we talk, we think about speed workouts and, and that and such, and that's great, but really for an endurance athlete, speed is not near as important as how efficient we are. Right. So that perceived effort training improves our efficiency. Um, where if you're constantly slaving to a pace, you're going to have days where you're off, you're going to days where you train too hard, maybe not train hard enough. Mm-hmm. Um, but your perceived effort, you know, they say in like in football, defense travels while well, perceived effort travels. It mm-hmm. doesn't matter if you're having a bad day. Maybe you're getting over an illness or what it might. Maybe you're coming back off a down period. You, your perceived effort is always there and it's always it's always ready to improve because it's an efficiency based approach. It's not a chasing a number type approach. Right, right. So it's. So, I mean, I guess when I talk to him, you could say it's a partially it's a repetition thing. And then also breaking up into different RPEs, different, you know, perceived mm-hmm. effort ranges in, in really the repetition of doing that over and over. That would help him. Yeah, definitely. And what I would do with an athlete like that is, um, you know, at my core, I know we have like if you look at like training methodologies, we have like five zone systems. Some people have, mm-hmm. some coaches have seven. I per, I personally think that if you're training off perceived effort, you have three, you have an endurance zone, you have a moderate, a tempo, and you have your interval zone. And that's really, I would break it down into those three. And I would have an athlete work in those because that's going to allow them to feel through the different, you know, the different levels of exertion rather than trying to always feel the same pace all the time. I would mix it up. Yeah, and I always feel like, you know, I I think you right now we've got six zones for my bike power. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but it's almost like we can knock out that bottom one because zone one is like I might as That's well just recovery. be sitting here. It's warming know. up. Right, yeah. right. So it's almost like useless at that point. Um, I do want to go back to you and mention how it, it's not just about power and speed, but efficiency. Mm-hmm. So I, I think. Most people can agree that swimming, they're like there is a right way to swim. Like technique is so focused on in the swim. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't find it as controversial nowadays, but um, do you think there is a proper way to run? <laughs> um, man, I, I think that this topic has been really, really um, blown up. I mean, I yeah. – I, I think it's gotten, is there an absolute perfect way to run? Probably not. And I think that's been proven because there's been really high level runners who 
aren't doing things quote unquote perfect. You right. know, you would, you would look at some runners and, and the, the absolute best example is the women's marathon world record holder, holder Paula Radcliffe. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, she, her, her form is not anything close to what they put into, put in the books, you know, it's not mm-hmm. even close. Um, and, and I think sometimes, you know, what is it? Um, you know, the mind is the biggest obstacle to efficient movement. You right. get out there and start thinking about everything. I guarantee you Paula Radcliffe's not out there thinking about everything when she's setting a, <laughs> you know, a marathon world record. Now, some, some athletes are, I mean, some runners and, and most high level runners do kind of check the boxes on, you know, their foot strike, their cadence, how they swing their arms. They are checking all the boxes on there. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of them are not. And then we have the, the topic of, is there an injury risk for making major modifications? Right. I think the one thing, I think the one thing I would look at with any runner is, and it's kind of a two part thing is cadence, I think is, is very important. Um, there isn't any um, high level runners with slow cadences, mm-hmm. whether it's a marathon runner or the hundred meter sprint. There's no such thing as uh, any of them running a slow cadence. So I do think there is a lot to be said for, for cadence and training cadence. And also I think it's well proven that training, training your cadence um, is not an injury risk. You know, learning to set the feet back down a little bit sooner is just, it's just, it's just not an injury risk at all. Now there's an adjustment period and I think there's a right way to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but some of the things, you know, what, for example, like heel striking gets a horrible, has a horrible reputation. Right. The truth is, you know, Bobby McGee, who's one of the most famous running coaches in the world will tell mm-hmm. you that there's absolutely nothing wrong with the heel strike. As long as your cadence is good, because what happens is when the cadence is good, your foot is falling underneath the center of gravity. So, right. If you're running with a 70 cadence and landing out front, you're, you're probably, you know, jarring you, the brakes are on while you run and you have that injury mm-hmm. risk. Mm-hmm. But if you're striking with the heel first at a almost 90 cadence, that foot now is striking underneath the body. There's not as much braking mechanism and there is not an injury risk. So when I work with someone and talk about running technique, I pretty much focus on the, the, the cadence aspect is my big thing. If the arms are crossing the body, yeah, we're going to fix that. If the head's bopping up and down a lot, we're going to talk about that. If they look like they're sitting in a chair, we're going to talk about the mobility of their hips a lot when they run. Um, but I've, I have definitely found that by training the cadence properly, it allows everything else to kind of fall into place, sort of. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, the body's ability to be strong and mobile is very important to having an efficient, efficient running form as well. So it gets into, you know, our hips, you know, are we strong where we need to be? Are we flexible where we need to be? What's our mobility like? And if those things are really good, you have a much better chance of having a really efficient running gait. So I always think about like, um, here's another, it's, it's this phrase in my head. And I don't know where it came from is, uh, flexibility is strength. Yeah. Like increasing your flexibility increases your push off power, increases, you know, how fast you're going to be able to go because everything is more mobile. Absolutely. Mobility is, is everything. Um, yeah. And it, for injuries as well, if, if the hips are locked up and tight, 
I mean, you can't get you can't get into a good a good running cadence. It's just it's just not going to allow it at all. That's why I have. A, I mean, my athletes. You know, I advise them <clears throat> doing mobility type work, even if it's just a few minutes. Um, you know, with every run that they do, you know, work just working on that aspect. Another thing I would say is a lot of times people who struggle with running cadence is they're they're never doing they're only doing easy paced running mm-hmm. and they're never you know doing things like strides which i know you know doing strides and doing interval type training is going to help bring cadence up as well because if you're constantly running slow every single workout it's going to bring cadence down you're not going to have as natural a high as high a cadence it's the same thing with cycling um, you get a lot of people come in and they're mashers. You know, I'll read, I'll read a data file on a ride or a workout and average cadence 78. Well, it's like, that's such a slow cadence. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing. So you do like things like fast pedal drills and stuff like that. You learn to turn the feet over more rapidly. Even if that means selecting easier gears, you're a more efficient cyclist. So it's the same thing in run. It's the same thing in running. Yeah, I feel, I feel like when I started triathlon, I definitely mashed the gears more when I was racing. But as I was racing, I was like looking at the guys that were passing me and then watching, like trying to figure out what they were doing. How are they shifting? How are they pedaling? And it was like this slow learning curve, you know, because at that time, I think I'm trying to remember how many years I raced um, before we started working together. Yeah, I mean, you know, you, Barb was writing the swim workouts, but. I think I had at, at least four, maybe five years without anybody like really looking at what am I, what am I doing on the bike and that kind of stuff. Yeah. So I think that mashing comes from like, it feels like you're doing more work. It does. It absolutely, it, it, it does. I mean, because um, it's like the, those cadences are like hill climbing cadences for a mm-hmm. lot of people. It makes you feel like you're pushing and doing work. But what's, what's actually happening at the end of the day is you're destroying your legs for running. Because right. our our lung, our heart and lungs have a much higher potential, um, and are much more uh, they're they're unlimited um, to where our muscles are our weakness. Um, the, so with a lot of triathletes, it, it's the body it's, that's more of the limiter than the heart and the lungs. Mm-hmm. So when we select an easier gear on the bike and turn a higher cadence, we're saving our legs for running. We're asking more out of our cardiovascular system and less out of our muscular system. So it spares the legs for running. But our heart and lungs, as, as training triathletes, are so advanced um, that it, it's, it, doesn't, it doesn't dig into our resources like climbing up a hill for 56 miles would do right. on the bike, which is essentially what a lot of people will do at those really low cadences. Mm-hmm. And again, the best, the best way I've seen it improve is, number one, is by doing more cycling. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a large part of it because, again, a lot of people come to come to triathlon with a lot of, with very little cycling experience. And then the drills, like on the trainer doing like the fast pedal drills and single leg. And um, I have I have athletes do long spins around 100 cadence, you know, five, 10 minutes, fast pedal drills, 115 or so on the cadence. Learn to really turn the feet over. Um, one thing. I want to talk about before we run out of time is I want to talk a little bit about Sean and how you kind of like got working with her and her story a little bit because um, although I know personally your effectiveness, I think it gives kind of 
credence to your training methods that you've worked with somebody at such a high level. Um, so I, I kind of, I guess, uh, tell us a little bit about um, how you met Sean, kind of her story and, and kind of how that developed. Well, I met Sean, um, and for those who don't know, Sean is a female athlete. Uh, it's a female Sean. Um, so I was at um, a clinic in Colorado Springs, and there was a gentleman also attending the clinic. I knew he were, he was from this area originally, but now he lives out in Colorado, and he works for USA Cycling. And I attended the clinic with him, and then about a month after the clinic, he called me and said that he had um, he ran the, the para-athlete team for USA Cycling. And he called me up and he said, we have an athlete who's pretty close to you, who we think has talent. And would you be interested in, you know, in meeting her, talking to her about her cycling, you know, reviewing what she's done uh, thus far? And I was like, you know, yeah, I mean, I, I, I would definitely be interested. And so that's how I first met her. So I went to my <laughs> I went to my very first meeting with her. Um, we sat down at a Panera and I met with Sean for about probably a little under an hour, um, not super long. Mm-hmm. And in that hour, uh, Sean never even looked at me like in the eyes. Like there was no eye contact for an hour. And there was a lady who did some coaching with me. Um, she was with me at the meeting. She came mm-hmm. along and after the meeting, she said to me, how are you going to coach her? She won't even look at you. And I was like, oh, no, but I'm super intrigued. And I remember the meeting. All Sean would really say is the only thing, the only thing I could get out of it was, and you have to remember this is a para-athlete. I know we'll talk about the para-aspect. As- yeah. Um, yeah. Only thing she really ever said is, I really love to ride my bike. I don't really know what I'm doing, <laughs> basically, is, is what she said that whole hour. So um, so it started there. And um, when I met her, she weighed like, she was a, a big athlete. She was probably 200 pounds, mm-hmm. uh, about my height, about 5'8", five, 5'9". Five, she was big. I mean, she was... Uh, did not have the body of an elite cyclist, I can assure you. Um, but that's how I met her originally. Is just I had that connection, so we sat down and met, and that was 2011 because it was five years before she was in the Rio um, Paralympics. Mm-hmm. So that that's how I met her. That's how we got started. And, and you know, you have to correct me, but um, Sean was in the army, or what? Yeah, she okay. was in the military, and she was in, uh, she was in Afghanistan, and she was in, she was in multiple explosions, mm-hmm. and the last one, um, she showed me pictures of the Humvee some years later, and basically as a result, she had came away with a traumatic brain injury. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, she had a traumatic brain injury, and part of her, the insides of her shoulder basically are, are like gone. Mm-hmm. And she has um, she has problems with a lot of like leg spasms, you know, and things like that. So she's not she's not an amputee. Like a lot of times when we think about these about para athletes, we think about amputees and stuff. And right. sometimes people would say to me, they'd see like a picture of Sean and they're like, oh, well, she looks, you know, <laughs> like sort of like a normal person. And I say, right. well, would you rather have half a brain or half a leg, you know, I mean, yeah. what would you like? I mean, so her injury was very serious and she has some partial blindness in her, um, left eye, you know, as well. So how does that, and this is just something I, you know, I know a little bit about, but not a lot. So like how do the different classifications work with the, the Paralympics? Cause, cause clearly 
So say you have, you know, a, a double amputee, like I would think, you know, that's going to be a different classification on the track than, yeah. you know, somebody like Sean who still has, you know, both of her legs. So they have I, five classifications for para-athletes. Mm -hmm. And um, basically those classifications, they the athletes have to go to doctors to get classified. And the doctors and the specialists, they set what level of classification you are. So Sean's level is four. She was a three when I met her, and then she moved to a four. <clears throat> and a five is the least amount of the disability, mm -hmm. and it goes down. And so she was um, like she was a four. So she was next to the least uh, least level, least the most amount, of, least least disabled athlete. Right, right. So she was ne next level down for her. So yeah, it's it's five levels that are established by doctors based upon you know an examination basically of the athlete. Okay, um, I think that's, that's those are cycling classifications. You say triathlon does it different. Right, right. Um, so I was kind of curious a little bit about kind of the lead up to Rio for her and and the training that you guys are doing. Um, I think you had mentioned she does a 3000. Is that her track event? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So in, in Rio and one of the things about her is, yeah, it was the 3000 and then the, uh, the time trial out on the road. Okay. And so, you know, five years before the Olympics when I met her, you know, we didn't really know at the time, you know, what she would be doing cycling wise. Right. We had no idea she would be a track cyclist. I mean, that was not even thought of at that time. Um, so, yeah, she did that. She did those. Those were her two events. You know, in the five years leading up, she had a lot of ups and downs, like really significant ups and downs. Um, but I was, I was so proud of the way I would say in that, that crucial period from, you know, just – right up to basically where you're traveling to Rio mm -hmm. to about eight weeks out. I mean, what I remember most about the training is how she just, re she just freaking nailed it. I mean, her training, she just, she, she was, like I said, she's in this area, Jesse, but she actually early that, I think it was around May or June of that year. She had to move. Um, her mm -hmm. husband's military and he got relocated to Colorado Springs so she actually had to move to Colorado Springs. Okay. So she was in Colorado Springs. So we um, we continued to work, you know, remotely. And, you know, like I said, from that, that crucial period, she just nailed her training. The training was phenomenal. Uh, the power numbers were right where we wanted them to be, right where we felt like, okay. You know, with an event like the 3000 and the road time trial, those are events where you can really dial in, okay, the numbers. Mm -hmm. So you can be very high on the technology and, and we knew where we, we had to be. She did a lot of training um, in the uh, the altitude rooms in Colorado. So she was she was training at sea level type right. notes. And so that's the biggest thing. I mean, she really she was really dialed in. But I got to tell you, you know, we'll call them able bodied athletes, which is like the regular Olympics. OK, so we know that right. those athletes are like really popular people. They get a lot of media requests. They have sponsors they have to satisfy and things like that. Mm -hmm. What people don't realize is that with para-athletes, the media and the sponsors, they love the para-athletes because behind every, every para-athlete is usually a tremendous story. 
Right. You know, most the able-bodied athletes, let's face it, most of those Olympians are born with it. I mean, they're genetically blessed to where the para-athletes, I mean, it's all work. And so she also had tons of media requests and sponsors. She was nominated for an ESPY award, which is Mm -hmm. the ESPN awards. And the ESPY award show was like, you know, you're rubbing shoulders with like LeBron James and Peyton Manning. (laughs) And right. it was like it was like six weeks before the Olympics, and we had decided at about twelve weeks out, we're like done. We're mm-hmm. focused on training. There's no travel. You know, there's no multiple day sponsor this and that. No. And she's like, "Yeah, I mean, we we got to do this." So she didn't even go to the ESPYS that she was mm-hmm. known for. Yeah. Um. So because though, like I said, those athletes, there's always a just a phenomenal story behind all of them mm-hmm. and everyone wants to hear that story and, and everything. So, but we got, she was able to put all that aside. We got down to business. I was so happy for her because it's what just, she expressed that she wanted, you know, four years previous, right. you know, but we weren't training for the Olympics three years out. We were just progressing. I mean, right. Right. Um, just, we were just progressing. Um, but we were progressing through, ups and downs and trials and tribulations and, and health. And, you know, you come back from military, obviously there's a lot of PTSD situations. So, mm-hmm. um, so there was well, lots of downs and lots of ups, but she, you know, she was like, hopefully like we like our stock market. It was like, you know, <laughs> up and down, but at the end, progressing it, upwards. And, and, you know, uh, you know, and like I told you, when I met her, she weighed at least 200 pounds. Um, she was racing in Rio 125. Mm-hmm or so most of that weight came off in the first year though she, yeah. she lost a lot of weight in that first year and then just kind of held on to it and just maintained after that see one of the things i, I think you haven't highlighted yet it, which is you know this is what sticks in people's minds and i, I do want that you know anybody listening to kind of think about the progression you know it's a five-year progression for <clears> sean <throat> to take you know from starting to work with you all the way to rio but um if i remember correctly Sean won her event. She was a gold medalist in her event. And she also, and she broke her own world record in the event. Was that correct? Yeah. And that's on the track. Right. Right. She is the, she, um, and I think she still is the world for, in her classification has that, has that record on on the track. Yeah. And she is, um, I'm not surprised that she was good at the track because I think she's very well built for it. She likes, she likes the time trial aspect. She likes, just putting her head down and going. And I really think, I really think, especially in that crucial time period, I think I could have put anything together in a workout. I I think she would have nailed anything that I I would have put together for her. There's Mm -hmm. not much doubt in my mind about that, but she, you know, come to find out later, like we were talking about genetics and stuff, that time trial. And now she loves the track. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just put your head down and go. And there's yeah. not a lot of thinking involved. It's just, you know, put your head down and go type thing. Right, right. Um, you know, one last question before we go. Um, if you could only eat one thing for recovery for the rest of your life, what do you choose? <laughs> okay, so one thing for recovery. So we're talking about like after a workout or? Yeah, so you just, you went to the track or you just, um, you know, busted it on, on the bike, whatever you did, you're exhausted. Okay. You've been at it for an hour, a couple hours. You only get one thing you're going to eat. 
Okay. Now, do you want a real food answer or do you want something that's like a product? Uh, you, can give me, you can give me either. Okay. Okay, so you, I guess full disclosure. So I do have a relationship with Hammer Nutrition, but I think Hammer Nutrition's Recoverite product is really hard to beat mm -hmm. um, for recovery. And uh, the reason why I say that it's got that – you know, a lot of times when athletes think about recovery, it's, you know, they think a lot about protein, but actually we, we want to, we want about a three to one, three to four to one ratio right. of carb protein for perfect recovery, because we burn through a lot of carbohydrate with what we do. So you got to have that replaced as well quickly. Um, so they've got that three to four, three or four to one. I think it's about a three to one ratio. Um, you're getting some electrolytes. It's a water-based product. So you're starting the rehydration process. There's no sugars added to the product. Um, but most importantly, I think in it is it contains a really good, um, really good mixture of L-glutamine. Mm -hmm. And what I would say is, you know, we hear, you know, we hear about there's a magic formulas coming out all the time. I just saw one today, marshmallow root. I saw okay. that. Marshmallow roots, the next big thing, you know, um, there's always the next big thing, but L-glutamine is, you know, our muscles are like 60% made up of the amino acid of L-glutamine. Mm -hmm. uh, I, in this, not just muscle recovery, there's cardiovascular, there's GI benefits. I think a product, you know, I would encourage anyone L-glutamine in your day-to-day -day life, even even if you're not an athlete, all the benefits. But recovery as an athlete, L-glutamine has to be there, and that's in the product as well. Um, so I don't know. I think Hammer's Recoverite, and it, and it tastes really good too. I think it's tough to beat. I think the quality of it is tough to beat. All right, well, uh, we'll take that. Yeah. <laughs> so if uh, people want to get in touch with you, they want – you have questions or want to bring you on as a coach? How do they get in touch with uh, you? They can email my email address is Ryan at coast to coast triathlon.com. I'll have that on the screen. You should probably be able to see that now if you're watching on YouTube. So thanks for coming on today, coach. Thanks, Jesse.